Services like Disney Plus and Max are cutting titles from their libraries, including some originals. Does this weaken the value of SVOD and what can subscribers do about it? Listen on to find out more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that, of course, was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top. Colin, you're back from your travels last week. How is everything? It was great. I had a great time down at OTTX X Fronts in LA last week. A very interesting panel down there on enthusiast programming, some of which will come maybe will come up today. And I was doing a discovery panel at the TV of Tomorrow show in San Francisco on Thursday. So busy week of travel last week. I'm glad to be back at home talking with you. Likewise. Well, let's go ahead and get started. You, We have a couple of news items first before we get into our main story, and I think you're going to get us started. Sure. Um, so the one that caught my eye was from Dish Network. Uh, Dish is in a pretty interesting position uh, for broadcasters, it has, I think we can safely say it has three linear television properties. Now it has Dish Network, it has Sling TV, and then it has its free TV streaming option as well uh, called Freestream. So it sort of has three properties and they were pretty much separate for from the standpoint of advertising. Well, they have unified those three under this thing called Dish Connect. And what that allows advertisers to do is they can buy a, a blended CTV and linear TV addressable inventory now through their automated programmatic platform. And this, I think, is a really great innovation. It allows, I think, Dish extraordinary reach to both those people that have cut the cord and moved online and to traditional TV viewers. So I think this goes a little bit of a way to make up for the huge losses that they've suffered in satellite TV world. And I think this is, I think it's fair to say that this is a pretty much a first of its kind solution in the traditional TV space, wouldn't you say? Uh, I actually don't know. I haven't followed that closely, Colin. I don't know if it's a first of its kind or not. Um, certainly, as you just said, Dish has lost gobs and gobs of subscribers um, over the recent period. They've been one of the hardest hit uh, from cord cutting. So I would say they've got a lot of ground to make up. I don't know if they're going to make it all up via a convergent advertising play, but certainly it'll help matters, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting. I mean, if you're an advertiser, through this Dish Connected platform, you can reach with uh, targeted ads in real time, internet connected Dish set-top boxes in basically the same way that ads for Sling TV and Freestream campaigns are delivered so you know that i i'm pretty sure that nobody else has done this yet in the industry so it's pretty exciting and i think if you're an advertiser you should probably check it out yeah well let me um let's move on to my story colin uh actually after we recorded last week i noticed a pretty extensive article in the wall street journal about the um 
sort of brewing fight that's going on between Disney and Comcast over the ultimate disposition of Comcast's one-third stake in Hulu. Listeners will remember that the company signed a deal four years ago now, actually. Uh, it was back in May of 2019. Amazing how time flies. Uh, where they basically set a minimum valuation on Hulu at $27.5 billion and um, some terms around how a transaction would be conducted. Uh, I guess in some ways, no surprise to anybody. <laughs> the, um, the companies are now in an arbitration about uh, Comcast alleging that Disney has not pursued an international rollout of Hulu, which would have in turn increased Hulu's valuation, which of course would have in turn benefited Comcast. Um, I say no surprise because Hulu was not really, did not have really an international footprint four years ago. So it would have been a brand new initiative for them. Um, Disney had its star brand already uh, internationally. It's chosen to put its investment dollars behind Star to really try to expand it, as we know, uh, bundled with Disney Plus, places like India and others. Um, and Comcast is now asserting that uh, Disney has not you know, invested properly in Hulu and expanding the valuation. Apparently, I didn't know this, the article says that apparently Comcast has actually stopped funding Hulu and that Disney is carrying the full funding amount for Hulu at this point, um, assuming that, I assume that that would get factored into what the ultimate valuation would be. Uh, Brian Roberts at Comcast said recently that the quote unquote majority case is that uh, Disney will end up buying, Comcast will end up selling its state to Comcast, but they do seem to be very far apart on valuation. So I honestly had not, I had sort of put that whole drama on my back burner because nothing really happens substantially until early next year when this so-called put call provision gets triggered. Um, but the journal, I thought, did a nice job of really kind of bringing readers up to date on what's been happening behind the scenes. And, you know, no surprise, I think, to anybody, it's the deal has whatever provisions they had worked out between them has not exactly things have not exactly gone according to plan. No, no, they haven't, Will. And this, actually, it's interesting that Comcast is bringing up this international issue with Hulu because I remember at the time of the purchase of Fox that Disney did talk very specifically about their international plans for Hulu. And I remember at the time thinking, this doesn't make sense. Hulu doesn't have a brand outside of the U.S., Fox has a very strong brand outside of the U.S. in Star. So I remember thinking that it didn't make much sense. <laughs> so I don't know. The fact that the fact that Comcast is pulling this out of the hat and claiming that they should have done that, gone ahead and done that, I don't know how much water that will hold. Uh, and the other thing is, it's, it's no surprise at all that the, that the two are where they are. Um, the truth is that for Disney, Hulu has now taken on a pivotal role in the U.S. It is, uh, it, it is its as it were, general entertainment service. Where Disney, I think, is a bit of bit, Disney Plus is a bit more of a specific entertainment 
uh, entertainment service. And remember, they made the announcement that they will be combining Hulu and Disney Plus in this in this uh, joint app, a single app. They'll come together, which is the first time these two services have come together. They you can buy them today in what they, what is called the Disney Duo. Uh, and those people that are buying the Disney Duo will get access to this single app when it comes out. And that's a very important app for them in the US market world because for the first time, all three D2C offerings will be available on a single platform. That is ESPN+, Disney+, and Hulu will all be integrated into a single platform. And i got to tell you, if you've got that, that's going to be a very, very sticky service because if you unsubscribe from one part, you ha- you'll have to go back to using the individual apps for the other two. So you lose the benefit of the integration, the easy searching, the one place to go to find everything, etc., etc. So, yeah, the, the Hulu is very important to Disney. There's no question about that. That's why they've backed away from even thinking about selling it. And uh, be interesting to see where this fight goes. I suspect that Comcast will end up not getting much more than they were signed up to get, maybe. I think that's right. And of course, because I'm just an old broken record, as many of our listeners know, I have to insert my obligatory mention here that <laughs> years and years ago, I urged, 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 urged Comcast to acquire Hulu in my various newsletters and posts. That would have been such a far superior option for them than what they ended up doing starting Hulu, uh, starting Peacock, losing at least, I don't know, six, seven billion dollars in the process, uh, and now getting into a big stir with Disney about what's going to happen with Hulu. They could have bought Hulu for, I think, the two-thirds they own, they could have bought for somewhere between 13 and 14 billion dollars, give or take, uh, three or four years ago. And they would have had a well-branded national play, all the ad tech, all the content, everything else. Um, I think it was a huge missed call on their part. And I don't see anything, unfortunately, for them that has ensued that looks any better than if they had done that deal. But, you know, Colin, we can't have a conversation about Hulu, Comcast, and Disney without me mentioning that, right? <laughs> right. And, and thinking about it. That will be uh, my final uh, words. I said way back when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thinking about it, Will, had they done that, I think they would have been in, a, obviously, a much, much stronger position uh, than they are today. Uh, even the com- even thinking about them, ta- if, if they had stepped in and purchased Hulu, uh, they were able to somehow engineer that deal with Disney uh, last year. The comp, you know, putting Peacock together with Hulu would have restored a lot of the strength in that platform, which I think it's it's lost since the NBC content has NBCU content has vanished from it. So I don't know, uh, but, but as you say, it's it's all water under the bridge, done deal. Now it's uh, it's all over bar the fighting. I think that's what they say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Well, let's go ahead and move on, Colin. Yeah. So a couple of interesting pieces came out this week which made me start to really think about what I think will is becoming a trend. Uh, the first was that in Disney's Q2 that's their fiscal Q2 2023 call which is our Q1 calendar Q1. CFO Christine McCarthy said 
She said something really interesting, and I'm going to quote it because I think it's really, really important. She said, we're in the process of reviewing the content on our D2C services to align with the strategic changes in our approach to content creation that you've heard Bob discuss. Uh, And what basically uh, Bob Iger said was that they're going to start curating the content in Disney Plus a lot more than they have in past and christine went on to say as a result we will be removing certain content from our streaming platforms and currently expect to take an impairment charge of approximately 1.5 to 1.8 billion so with if you couple this with the fact that they'll be producing less content for the service in the future which she had said sort of in the preamble to this statement uh, and which, by the way, she just sort of dropped into the conversation and nobody picked up on or nobody seemed to challenge that in the questioning afterwards. That seems to, that suggested to me that we're going to see quite a big reduction in the amount of content that's actually available inside of Disney+. And uh, already they've started to identify shows that are going to be disappearing. So like a show called Willow and a a show, a show called The World According to Jeff Goldblum, among several others, um, are, are on the way out, as well as Dollface and Maggie from Hulu. So it's not just Disney Plus that's losing shows here, Will. It's those platforms, those, those um, uh, Hulu as well. And of course, we've talked about, I think we talked about on the show already, that Warner Brother Discovery is removing stuff from HBO Max. They, uh, of course, they removed the very popular shows raised by Wolves and Westworld. They've gone from the service along with a bunch of others. And, and actually, I was reviewing some data from Real Good this morning that actually suggests a lot more content has vanished than I thought. Real Good basically looked at what the combined library size was for Max after combining Discovery Plus and HBO Max. And basically what it, what we find is the quantity of shows, um, it should if you just combined what was in Discovery Plus and HBO Max, you would have ended up with something like 2,500 shows. Instead, there's only 1,208. So there's been a pretty dramatic reduction in the number of shows that are available and a a much smaller reduction in the number of movies. It looks like about 5% of movies that were available in both services have vanished in in the combination of the two. So this got me really thinking here about, well, first of all, why are they doing it? They're doing it because there's this tremendous drive to get your D2C services profitable. This is very, very important to... Disney and to Warner Brothers Discovery at the moment and to actually many others. And by removing shows, they actually get to save the license fees for those shows and they also don't have to pay residuals. And, you know, apparently this could lead to tens of millions of dollars in savings um, over the next year or so for both services. So that's one of the main motivations behind this. But what really made me think, Will, was one of the value propositions for SVOD, I think, for me and for many, many people have moved there, is that we don't need to worry about owning a movie or owning a show anymore. It's available in the SVOD library. We can go to it when we want and watch a favorite show or watch old episodes or whatever. And 
this really makes me think that we can no longer rely on that if the SVOD providers now are removing shows that maybe have been on the service for a couple of years or and or they start heavily curating content as Disney Plus is planning on doing. So what that means is that we can't rely on this fact that those big SVOD libraries keep all of the shows that we would like to watch, that those shows will be going away. And the interesting thing here is, of course, shows have been coming and going in SVOD services, as we know. They've been swapping platforms. We've seen that with Friends and with The Office, etc. They switch platforms. Uh, but in this case, some of these shows are really their originals. And they're going away and they're really not available anywhere else. So this, as I say, this, I think, takes away one of the real tenets of what SVOD provides to us as a subscriber, that they have these large libraries of content that we can plumb at our convenience and in, enjoy. Uh, whether we do or not is is neither here nor there, the fact that we think that we have bought into these large libraries and can reliably uh, access that library content uh, at any time, I think is an important value proposition for the SVOD service. So anyway, I'll stop a little bit there because there's, there's some other conclusions I've, I've got from that, but uh, I'm interested in your response to that. I mean, I think there are interesting questions, Colin, as you just said there toward the end. It's always been a fact with SVOD services that content has rotated in and content has rotated out. I mean, I just literally got an email a couple of days ago from Amazon saying these are the new 10 movies that are coming on to the service in June. So, and there will be other articles that will say, here's what's leaving Amazon in May. Here's what's leaving Netflix in May, et cetera. So it's always been, I think, a reality. I think what I'm kind of gleaning from what you're saying is that it's maybe now accelerating or the rotation out is outweighing or going to outweigh the rotation in of, of, of content and that at some level that's going to become noticeable or material to viewers. Um, you know, I guess... What I would say is I don't feel like I have enough data to really quantify. Uh, I mean, you know, the real good data point is one, certainly to, to pay attention to. Um, that seemed pretty draconian to me. I mean, 2,500 down to 1,200, that's that's 50% of the content being slashed. I guess I'd want to understand that one just a little bit better. Um, at the end of the day, I suppose it really what it really boils down to is, does the viewer care? Does this really matter? I mean, there's so much content on these services to begin with. And we all know about the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of virtually everything, uh, or sorry, 80% of virtually all usage of virtually anything in the world is accounted for by 20% of the actual units or the demand, whatever you know, the case exactly may be. Um, we also are very familiar, of course, with the long tail concept that's been out for at least 10 years. So we don't know exactly this content that's being called out where it falls. Is it really popular? Is it really being viewed? Is it really contribute value to the underlying perception of the service by consumers, by viewers? 
or not. And I think, as you said earlier, you know, reality is setting in for all of these SVOD providers now. There was a point where more was more and profitability didn't really matter. Now more, less is more. So the push for profitability, as you said before, is real. Uh, I think they're also starting to realize that navigation, discoverability are real issues for viewers. The more stuff that they put in there, the harder it is at some level to find what you're looking for. Uh, and you get, and the writer strike, of course, now also is influential in all of this. Uh, so I think you put it all together and it's only natural that the SVOD providers are going to be cutting back. Question is, are viewers really going to notice? How much is it going to matter? Yeah, this is a, it's a, it's a very interesting question, Will. And I, I first, I think the first thing that's really new here is the originals angle, that the originals are going away. Um, they haven't typically in the past. Typically, SVOD services, when they produce originals, they sort of stay there forever so that you can always get back to them. So, for, so for, say, for example, you know, if I wanted to go back and rewatch uh, Stranger Things, I can do that on Netflix today from episode one all the way through. Uh, but that's not true now with Warner Brothers Discovery um, and, uh, and, and Discovery Plus because you well not discovery plus excuse me with max uh, some of those some of those episodes have gone away right can i just interject one thing quickly colin and i don't know this i'm just asking the question stranger things is a massive one of the biggest hits that netflix has um that show obviously is not going anywhere at the same time netflix has created and canceled umpteen series over the years are those series that have just one season or half a dozen episodes or 10 episodes, do those continue to live on on Netflix or do they this sell is, those off? I mean, this is, this is an excellent question. And it looks to me like Netflix doesn't remove originals. It has canceled shows that were done seven years ago or more are still available. Like Sensate, Bloodline and Netflix presents the characters. But your question here, your, the thing you posed there was if, if people don't notice, then does it really matter? And I would say that for some shows that that's probably true. The, the problem is that even one of the reasons that people loved SVODs was it seemed like they could reconnect with shows that had been cancelled by traditional television. And that when a service started a show... They gave you some sort of completion with it. Now, we know that that, that also is now no longer true, right? Because they're canceling shows, like just like regular TV, and leaving us hanging, leaving us without completion. I watched a show called The Night Sky on Amazon just, the other, just, just a few months ago, which my wife and I absolutely loved. And, well, I was appalled to discover that they had cancelled it. And so I would never find out what was going to happen. Because you, uh, you were and your wife were the only one watching it, Colin. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's possibly true. So, so that's a value prop that I think has also gone away here. I think the fact that the originals are going away is really important because they were made for the streaming services. And if they are going to go away, then... You may have found a, new, a show that you love, which is on the minority side, 
and that in the you know two or three years out from release is not attracting much viewership and which you still love you're still going back to you still want to know that you can get back there and you now no longer can because of the service has decided ah, cut their losses save the license fees and the residuals and and let's get rid of it the complexity issue is i think it's less of an issue in an SVOD service than it is in a fast service. And one of the things that certainly did come up at the OTTX last week was we, we talked a lot about how fast services now are limiting the number of channels that they have in their services. And this is an artificial limit because you can have as many, many channels as you like. There's no bandwidth limitation. There's no storage, real storage limitation, significant storage limitation. Uh, and that the service operators are deciding to keep the number of channels to a few hundred rather than, you know, as many as they can get because they're worried about this issue of discoverability and finding stuff. But I really do think that that's less of an issue inside of an SVOD service because, you know, these issues, are, these the episodes are static. You can, voice control is usually pretty voice search and search is good at finding digging that stuff out for you um, so you know I, I think it's less of an issue there certainly is an issue in the fast services but but not so much here so I do think for me and I think for many people this idea that this stuff is going to be there is an important one and one of the interesting things, Will, is that if you look at the behavior of people, their spending behavior of people over the last decade or so, what's very, very clear is a bunch of money has moved from ownership of videos into access to these big SVOD libraries. And so... You know, if you look back in 2013, for example, in the US, $9 billion was spent on buying discs and buying digital versions of movies, and only $3 billion was spent on SVOD. In 2022, half, under half, was spent on ownership. And of course, as we know, SVOD now is 10 times bigger. It's a $30 billion business in, in the US last year, uh, in 2022. And I think a lot of that, a lot of people, a lot of the reasons people are comfortable, were comfortable not buying discs and not buying digital versions of the movies that they loved is because they had confidence that they could find it in the SVOD libraries that they were subscribing to. And uh, I guess, you know, for me, what this says is they don't, they may not have that confidence anymore. And this could, I'm not saying it definitely will, but it could make people rethink their decision to direct all of their money to SVOD libraries and maybe begin to actually buy digital and digital versions. And oh, goodness me, maybe even dust off that DVD player and buy a DVD or a Blu-ray uh, because they absolutely know that they have it then and nobody can, can stop them from watching it. So I think that could be one strategy that people go back to. The other strategy, this is maybe a little bit more controversial. Uh, the way we solved the curation issue in, in TV was we had DVRs. 
right? We could set our DVR to record any show that we really want and watch it when we, when we had time. And typically what happened was most people's DVRs were absolutely, the hard disks were completely full. And I suspect those of you that are still using DVRs, your DVR is completely full. And most of the content on those DVRs went unwatched. They were there because we might want to watch them. And why I'm mentioning that is because we attach value to being able to watch even if we don't. So this could create an environment where people want maybe the same sort of things. They want to be able to DVR stuff to make sure that they can watch a show. I'll give you a great example. When I was down in LA, um, I was staying with family there. And one of the family members there was knew that Disney was removing Willow and was binging it, trying to get through all the episodes before it disappeared. Well, if this had been on TV or they could have just used a DVR and recorded all the episodes and they would have had them there and could watch them at their convenience. Um, so anyway, this could reignite interest in DVR functionality. And we do have services already. There's a service called Play On, which is a DVR, as it were, for the streaming world. So you can record off of Netflix and, and Tubi and Peacock and many of the more popular internet TV services. And you can watch at your convenience. You can record that to a device in the home or you can record it in the cloud. Uh, and as far as I can gather, it works exactly like a DVR and you can watch it at your convenience. Oh, and yes, you can skip commercials. So <laughs> if you're subscribed to a commercial tier of a service, you can record using this and you can skip the commercials that they insert. So uh, I'm not saying that there's going to be a huge rush towards this. I'm just saying that by restricting these libraries, you're beginning to create uh, nervousness in your subscribers that they can't rely on the fact that this content is still going to be there. And they could end up going back to purchasing and looking more seriously at services like PlayOn so that they can guarantee that they can have the, that access. Well, you're raising a lot of different questions there, Colin. There's a lot to unpack, and I don't think we're going to have time to get through it all today. Um, I would say my general reaction when you talk about nervousness uh, is that you may be skewing a little bit more to the uh, chicken little end of the uh, nervousness <laughs> spectrum. No offense. Um, I don't think there are going to be a whole bunch of people out there uh, having anxiety attacks about, you know, this content or that content that they didn't even necessarily know about no longer being on an SVOD service. The, um, you know, the music industry, I think, is a pretty interesting uh, analog to think about. You know, Steve Jobs, probably the most famous thing that he ever said that he was completely wrong about was that people did not want to rent their music. They wanted to own it. And sure enough, today, the vast majority of the world spending is on rental services, Apple Music included, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. But with There's, those services, Will, the content doesn't get removed. It's always there. I can go and listen to music from my youth. I can go and listen to music that was before my birth. It doesn't go away. I think it's a fair distinction, Colin, 
I, I think the fly in the ointment here on this questions about DVR and DVD is that those are not behaviors that younger people were trained on. So it would take them essentially a wholesale reversal of their behavior to go Good from point. the model of streaming and rental to the model of ownership and proactively DVRing things. Um, so I, you know, I think there's there's a group of people. I I do agree. I think maybe people who are older and older cohorts that would recognize the value of DVR. I mean, I DVR stuff. I you know I DVR'd all the NBA playoffs and watched them in you know an hour to an hour and a half delay because I just the ad load was so over the top and so untargeted <laughs> that it yeah. just completely diminishes the experience. So, you know, but, but at the same time, the concept of DVR has been in my life for 20 plus years. So it's a familiar concept to me. I don't know if the average 20 year old or 25 year old is familiar with, would act on it, et cetera, even has a plan, a capability to DVR in the first place. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm not as bullish on though. I think those are more kind of edge cases. DVR and DVD ownership, I think the more likely scenario is that, as you pointed out before we started recording, in the transition from VHS to DVD, a lot of content didn't make it, and it just got kind of lost forever, if you will. Um, I think the same is likely to happen here as we transition to a more curated to say euphemistically um environment in svod and fast that a lot of content's just not going to make it over the bridge it's going to be lost yeah. forever and yeah. you know that which was most popular will make it across and that which was peripheral or rarely used is not going to make it yeah yeah that, and i think that's true i was talking with eric opeka who's the uh, is the president of Cineverse, uh, as used to be Cinedime. And uh, he asked me how much, how much, how many of the movies that US has have been made in the US is actually available on streaming. And I guessed, I think I guessed like 5 or 10%. He said it was 2.5%. I totally believe that. I totally yeah. believe that. I've, I've searched for a lot of movies and they're just not there. It wouldn't surprise me, Colin. I mean, I, I subscribed to the um, DVD plan with Netflix for a long, long time after streaming became very popular for basically that reason. There were movies that I wanted to watch that they did not stream, and yet they were all still available on DVD. And I thought that was a compelling proposition. Eventually, I did give up the DVDs because it was, you know, ridiculous at that point. But... Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of content that's going to be lost forever. I think it's just the way it's going to play. I sure hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> there was, there was I don't a, want to burst your bubble, but I think it's going to. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's hope that that's not the case. I know there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal bewailing the fact that uh, that so many of the movies were not available. Uh, I hope that they're saved. Maybe we don't have to have instant access to all of them, but it'd be nice to know that they're saved. But anyway, I think we're just about out of time this week. Why don't you, uh, why don't uh, those people listening, let me know, let me, let us know 
what you think. Would you consider uh, a service like PlayOn, a DVR service? Would you consider going back to buying some of the movies to guarantee that you will be able to have access to them because they may well be going away? Let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know what you think. And just as we wrap up here, Colin, a quick reminder to listeners that next Thursday, June 8th, is the fourth annual Video News Connected TV Advertising Summit. 27 speakers, successions, uh, deep dive into all things related to Connected TV, complimentary sign-up. Please join us. And I think we're over now, Colin, right? I think we are. Okay, we'll see you all again next week. Thanks for listening. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.